Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hey everybody, I'm so proud to be here. And Lou. Hey guys. As uh, Noah's dignified tone may have hinted, this is the second part of our 2023 Genius Awards, acknowledging the best and brightest executives mainly of the year 2023. Um Happy New Year, I guess, first of all, because we are now in 2024. But we cannot, you know, really start the year without acknowledging uh, the genius of the year in 2024, who will come at the end of today's show. But first, we do have some updates on past geniuses. This is now our fifth Genius Awards, and it just so happens that all of the biggest geniuses from years past were very busy in 2023. We didn't want to give them new awards because there's only so much space in their trophy cabinets, but we do need to take some time to acknowledge what they've been up to, you know, see what they're doing. Is it good? First and foremost, I think uh, last year's genius of the year, Elon Musk still at it, still doing stuff. What did he do this year? I mean, what didn't he do? He released the cubist monstrosity known as the Cybertruck. He allowed Twitter to become even more a wretched hive of scum and white supremacy than it already was. I'm not. That was this year. Yeah, that was the name. Very good point. The website that everybody used and either loved or hated. Sometimes both. It was very hard to tell. Yeah, now officially it's called X. Uh, no, because... that. only absolutely weirdos call it X, though. So yes. I just wanted to point out that he did that this year. Because we know Elon Musk lies, likes naming things by, you know, just randomly punching his keyboard. That's what we got this year. The apps, children, whatever. And I don't think an international labor incident is a thing, sadly. It should be. But if anybody has come close to causing one, it has been he. Yeah. What Noah is referring to is that uh, Musk has gotten himself into a protracted fight with Swedish labor unions that has now extended into Norway and Denmark as well. The labor culture of these countries, these Nordic countries, is quite a bit different from ours. There are not just the culture, but the legal structures. Um, Unions are very entrenched in these countries, Uh, something like 80 to 90% union density for workers in these countries. And Musk, famously not a fan of unions, um, has committed NLRB violations by like basically threatening firings and pay cuts. If anybody even thinks about unions at his companies and this has not gone over well in Sweden where he's been trying to, are that are they manufacturing or just selling Tesla's there? Oh no, they're, they're manufacturing because part of the, this is where it gets, this is where the genius moves comes in. To pick, of all countries, Sweden, a country where solidarity strikes are completely legal and union funds have millions and millions of dollars to to the point that they can pay workers more than the regular salary during a strike to encourage them not to strike break, right? To pick a fight with that country's labor landscape is particularly brilliant. Because it really showed everybody what a connected labor sector can do. In this case, for example, there's a regulation that a car can't get a license plate unless it is sent to the factory by post. Well, postal workers aren't delivering to Tesla factories anymore in Sweden. So, no license plates, ergo, no cars being sold. 
uh, what is it? I think uh, dock workers and so on are also refusing to deliver to Tesla factories or work with Tesla cargo. So again, stuff can't even get into the country except via various kinds of shady means, I suppose. Yeah, this is really cascaded. Uh, I'm going to quote from an ABC News article from uh, December about this. Members of the country's transport union say they'll stop collecting waste from Tesla service centers starting Sunday. Employees with supplier Hydro Extrusions, which makes aluminum profiles, are refusing to make a component for Tesla cars. Other unions say their members won't paint Tesla cars, clean the company offices, or service electrical systems at its workshops or any of its 70 charging stations in Sweden. It is really a staggering number of unions and different facets which have rejected musk and his company and his attitudes towards labor with this and it noah you mentioned solidarity strikes being legal in sweden they are not in the u.s they're this sort of exponential growth of a labor stoppage is not something that could happen under u.s labor law i i think it was the taft hartley act outlawed it and you know because obviously as you can see it's a very powerful tactic like there's not much you can do when it comes to making a car in Sweden that isn't impacted by unionized labor in some way. And at one point that was also true in the U S and so law was made so that, you know, you couldn't have these sorts of um, ballooning strikes here, which hasn't been good. I would say over the last 70 years, but and this, this particular example, too, really highlights the level to which Elon is fundamentally anti-worker, anti-working class, uh, and insists on having everything his own particular way to benefit him. Because he's basically willing to let his entire national sales in at least the the northern eu not that norway is probably the eu but in in nordic countries crumble just because he won't negotiate in good con in good faith with uh, workers who make up a fraction of of sweden's workforce like it it doesn't matter just do it but he he still as far as i know hasn't caved at all he's he's literally just like burning money at this point in sweden just because he won't move on this. And that's a really short-sighted, idiotic, stupid, big-headed, etc. thought process he's going on. Genius, you're right. Left that word out. Sorry. Yeah. As is almost always the case with Musk, there's more we could get into. You know, there was a report about the working conditions his SpaceX workers have been laboring under, uh, but... We do have other geniuses to get to in this segment, so I think it's best if we um, cut things short. There's so much brilliance in, in today's show. I'm wearing shades right now. Yeah. I, I guess going in reverse chronological order, our 2021 genius of the year, Howard Schultz, retired again. This marks the second year in a row he has retired from his post at the as the president of Starbucks. For longtime listeners, you'll be very familiar with Howard Schultz and his work, but he was the president when the unionization of Starbucks really started happening in Buffalo and then spreading throughout the country. And it really seemed like every tactic he took had the exact opposite impact he wanted it to. Every um, visit to a store to compare his company to Holocaust victims, um, every um, public statement against the union, heavy-handed responses to union organizers. All of it seemed to backfire in a way that was um, very inspiring to see in 2021 and 2022 and continuing on into this year. Truly, the the Michael Jordan of, of anti-union activity at Starbucks. <laughs> That's very good. I guess there's not much more to add to uh, the Howard Schultz file this year, but... Um, we do have to tip our cap to a great. I think it was 2020 that we took some time to acknowledge 
WeWork founder Jared Newman and his wife Rebecca Newman. Adam Newman. Did somebody named Jared play him in a biopic? <laughs> there, that's a thought. Maybe. Maybe he and Jared Kushner like get mixed up in your mind because they're both pretty ineffectual, you know, nepo babies. He was played by Jared Leto in the <laughs> Apple TV series. We Thank crashed. you. Thank you. We work a company that uh, had like billions of dollars in funding from, um, was it SoftBank and other like international investors uh, for its job of like um, renting out office space. But as we discovered, I th- I think it was before the pandemic, actually, it would have been 2019 because the company had these grandiose visions of becoming all-encompassing, not just a place where you can get office space in Manhattan, but also like the future of education and the future of so much more. You know, they were a tech company, not a real estate company. And what's really remarkable is that this real estate company had its like biggest failings before the pandemic, right? If they had crashed in 2020, well, you know, obviously the pandemic, commercial real estate, you know, not as much demand. It would have made sense, but they found a way to um, screw the pooch, you know, before that all kicked off and take the blame. We're mentioning them at this point because WeWork has gone bankrupt in 2023. Honestly, surprising it lasted this long. Correct. The Newmans have been out of the picture for a couple of years now. They got, you know, removed from their place of power at the company. I assume he's started some sort of weird tech AI thing recently, but I don't have the time or the energy to investigate. That's not my job. Indeed. And then lastly, I another 2019 genius, Jim Spanfeller. Uh, head of GeoMedia, had himself a year. GeoMedia was once Gizmodo Media Group, was once Gawker Media Group. Um, has Spanfeller's been in charge for a few years now, and we honored him as a genius in 2019 for his role in alienating the entire staff of Deadspin, who quit their jobs and wound up uh, founding a site of their own. Spanfeller, back at it again this year. What's he up to? Well, let's see. There's the fact that he wanted to suspend publication of Jezebel and wrap that outlet up. Uh, They have since, I believe, been bought out by Paste Magazine. They're being run out of there. And to nobody's shock, Jim Spanfeller being a man who knows nothing about writing, nothing about news, nothing about anything except how to squeeze the most value out of the properties that he buys and then turns into giant zombies, went hardcore into the AI train because that's what everybody's doing if they want to save labor costs this year. I I think we mentioned this in the first part of our uh, Genius Awards, but they had an article uh, about like chronological list of Star Wars movies and TV shows, which uh, was written with errors and mistakes, um, which... Naturally, the actual human workers at Gizmodo were very upset about uh, because this not only is taking labor away from them, but it is also like tarnishing the reputation of the outlet they work at. You know, their resumes look worse because this is the sort of content their site is putting out. But uh, according to an article from Futurism in August, Geo is doubling down on its AI-generated content experiment by publishing a new flood of bot-created listicles. Unsurprisingly, the content is nothing more than search engine fodder that adds very little in the way of discussion about upcoming movie releases. It's a lifeless chronological list of blockbusters that barely even tells readers what the movies are about. So... Jim Spanfeller, gotta give it up. Really putting out the best work he can. It's good to know that even when we're not actively watching them and awarding them, they're still getting up to their wonderful, just lovely contributions to our global society. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you wonder if 
are we being are we not seeing something uh are, are we missing something if we award somebody something like genius of the year and then they just fall off in production but this shows that time and time again we have delivered and shown you the true geniuses of america because they keep delivering mm-hmm. this is what we're what we're understanding here what we're learning here is that they're not you know what marks these guys and they are almost always guys is that they're not doing it for the awards they're doing it for the love of the game and money. They're, right. they're mostly doing it for money, really, if we're being honest here. I, I think that wraps up our uh, overview of past geniuses and where are they now. Um, when we come back, we'll have some fresh geniuses for you. We will have uh, the runner-up for Genius of the Year. You won't want to miss You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to the 2023 Punching Out Genius Awards. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hello again, everybody. And Lou. Hey, guys. In this segment, we're going to be taking a look at our runner-up for Genius of the Year. It's somebody who, when it comes to just pure talent, has shown like prolific ability, just incredible skill set but i i think if we were going to say why he's not genius of the year it is that it's really only kind of tangentially related to labor which is our uh, topic of choice um going to be giving an award here to george santos former congressman from long island really burst onto the scene late last year, 2022, uh, when he won election. And then shortly after that election, it was discovered that his entire resume was fraudulent. I would actually argue that George Santos, if that is his name, which is also unclear, let's start with that. That's already (laughs) a problem. I would argue that he did do one important thing for the workers of the world, which is that if you ever suffer from imposter syndrome, if you've ever been afraid of lying to your boss or to your colleagues, listen, George Santos got like expelled from the house after what was it like two votes? It took that long to get one of the most prolific liars in the history of the house of representatives gone. So Never, ever, ever let anybody tell you uh, that 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 you number one that you have to tell the whole truth about anything, and number two, if you feel like you're you know not achieving enough in your life, just make some stuff up. Really embodies the ethos of fake it until you make it. We're going to be pulling heavily from an article in New York Magazine by Matt Steeb and Margaret Hartman titled Here's Every Single Lie Told by George Santos. And though it is thorough and an incredibly long article, I don't think it actually does capture every single lie told by George Santos, if only because there aren't enough pixels on the internet. Well, and and also this was written when? It was written and then regularly updated. Uh, The most recent update from December of 2023, around the time when he was being expelled from Congress. I think the thing that finally got him was a misuse of campaign funds, which is given the legendary misuse of campaign funds in history. Given the subheading here of he allegedly lied to donors, then used their money to make purchases at Hermes and OnlyFans. Quoting from the article, 
federal prosecutors accused Santos of defrauding political supporters while running for Congress last year. Santos instructed a Queens-based political consultant to tell potential donors that their money would be used to help elect him to the House. Two people gave $25,000 each to Redstone Strategies, an LLC operated by Santos, which was not registered as a super PAC. Santos allegedly laundered the money through two personal accounts, then used it for his personal benefit, including to make cash withdrawals, personal purchases of luxury designer clothing, credit card payments, a car payment, payments on personal debts, and bank transfers to his associates, according to the indictment. Amazing. That's a lot of crimes. He thieved money from Republican campaign donors. I'm... There are things to be mad at George Santos for, to be clear. There are reasons to dislike this person beyond the bit that we're doing here. But if you're asking me to get mad at him for stealing money from Republican campaign donors, I'm sorry. Fresh out of that. Can't, cannot work up the outrage there. I remember also, it's not in this article, I don't think, but I, I remember hearing something about him stealing from fellow Congress members. They were like making, he skimmed their credit cards or something like that and then paid, like ran them for campaign contributions exceeding FEC limits. Just a brief Google search turns up the headline. Uh, George Santos says he's innocent of allegation he orchestrated credit card skimming scheme. Uh, But but the thing cites a 2017 operation in Seattle. That led because, to a guilty plea and deportation of a Brazilian man. And was that the person on whose behalf he testified, uh, claiming that he worked at Goldman Sachs, which he did not? And then that friend later would say that it was Santos who taught him how to skim credit cards. George Santos taught him everything he knew. Which, I mean, he did at least you know, then testify on the guy's behalf after he got caught doing it. That that's that's one point in in his favor right there. Not not a big point at all, but it's there. It's something. One area of genius is resume embellishment, um, which normally a labor friendly area, but mm-hmm. I think this was really when he came onto the national radar was the discovery that like, despite having claimed to work for Goldman Sachs and Citibank uh, during his campaign for Congress, he didn't actually do that. Mm -hmm. None of the companies that he claimed to work for would uh, acknowledge that he had ever been with them. He claimed that he graduated in the top 1% of his class at Baruch, earned an MBA at NYU and was able to double the revenue on the project he worked on at Goldman Sachs. Santos kept up the Goldman Sachs lie for years, including at that 2017 trial. Yeah. And uh, also in case it needs to be said, he didn't go to Borough College and he also didn't go to the high school that he claimed to go to either. And he's in the wild part is that he's admitted this sometimes. He's been willing now and again to say that he did not go to any institution of higher learning. And meanwhile, all three of us in this room, if we ever have to get a job again, are worried about every single thing, every single bullet point that we put on the resume. We know people who have, I, at least I do, I know people who've asked me to surface references and things like that to embellish their qualifications for resumes. And I'm perfectly willing to do that because, you know, we live in the job market that we live in. And meanwhile, this a-hole is going around making up his entire life as he goes along. He took control of his personal narrative because it didn't exist until he made it. Remarkable. Breathtaking. It it is the sort of thing that is almost difficult for other people to untangle the mess that he made. Just like even reading this article, it's hard to know which lie to pull from next. There's a company called Devolder that he claimed to work for, but had no public website or LinkedIn page. And on his campaign financial disclosure, did not list any clients. 
Santos once described Devalder as his family's firm and said it was managing 80 million in assets. At times, he would even go by the name Anthony Devalder. He Tim Appled himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's going to start going by George Congress. Oh, no. <laughs> to be clear, what he claims the Volder was because he supposedly he incorporated that company and apparently it was basically a buying service for rich people toys, you know, yachts, planes, whatever. He basically just get on a Rolodex, he claims. Again, I feel like everything we say about him, you can just insert allegedly every verb needs to have that appended to it just as a default. He claims they would just get on his Rolodex and be like, uh, you know, who's looking for a plane? Who's looking for a yacht? Who's got a plane? Who's got a yacht? And just kind of connect these things. And if any of... I hope that this is a lie. Because if this is the only part of the whole thing that's true, that's almost more depressing. That rich people in this country are so lazy that they need to have this own man whose own name is unclear. We do not know to this day whether his name is actually George Santos, to be clear. That's just what we know him as right now. If they needed this person to go hunt down planes and yachts for them, I have a very low opinion of the American upper class. But if this is true, that might have cratered it even harder. I'm just going to quote an extended bit from this article, which is, all under the subhead of, is his money legit? Uh, Santos also had a habit of spending 199 or 199 cents at restaurants and hotels, just shy of the threshold for expenses that campaigns are legally required to track. Loads of so-called donations come from people who don't actually exist or claim not to have sent him any money, like Santos's cousin, who was, quote, dumbfounded by their alleged $5,800 pledge. Skepticism about Santos's finances was amplified by his alleged fraud. 2008, when Santos was 19 and living in Brazil, court records show he was charged with stealing the checkbook of a man his mother was caring for and wrote $700 in fraudulent checks, including for a pair of shoes. It's not the only theft allegedly on his record. Two roommates claim he stole a Burberry scarf from one of them and wore it a year later to the Stop the Steal rally. Oh my god. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) He also appears to have made up a history as a landlord, claiming in a campaign bio that he and his family ran a real estate portfolio of 13 properties. The Times found no evidence of the buildings, and they were not listed on required campaign financial disclosures. Santos, who decried New York's eviction moratorium during the pandemic, has been evicted twice. Just, But there was also that thing where he, he uh, claimed unemployment during the pandemic, but then was employed or something like that, and then voted against unemployment uh, increases or continuations. He definitely did fun. the first and third bits of that. He definitely collected benefits and then voted against them. I don't remember that second part, but hey. It's almost certainly the case, knowing him. I mean, he's like the most perfect irony engine ever devised by humanity. Like the thing with the scarf, the thing with the eviction moratorium, the thing with the unemployment benefits. Somehow he just attracts the exact thing that would happen in a movie. He Basically, you can't get anybody, you you will never get anybody to play this man in a film because he's already making the movie of his own life. I know it's not on this list because we can't verify what the lie is here, or rather because he actually told the truth in this case. But I do want everybody to remember that this is the man who once was spotted just holding a baby and taking it into his office in Congress. And when asked if that was his baby, replied, and I quote, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? 
that quote just brings to mind the uh, time Trump was asked about holding a Bible if it was his Bible, and he said, it's a Bible. <laughs> Again, <laughs> a moment of truth that they probably didn't attend. There's a sort of ringing symmetry between Santos and the man at the head of his party, uh, just in terms of their willingness to not let what they said five minutes ago stopped them from saying something different now. Which, if we can get mildly serious for a second, I think tells you something about... The last few months have featured a lot of Americans of various political stripes talking down to effectively always people on their left about how they don't have sufficient appreciation for nuance or how they don't understand how complicated politics are or how much better the United States is run than other countries. And the fact that George Santos and Donald Trump are major, well, not major, but I guess major stories in the political landscape of the United States, that they're not laughing stocks, honestly, both of them should tell you that no American gets to tell anybody from any other country how to run anything. Nobody in this country can be trusted to run so much as like a food stand unless they're the kind of people who are getting, you know, harassed by former Obama diplomats or whatever. That's the only people here who seem to have any real idea of what it takes to do anything, really. And meanwhile, guys like George Anthony DeVolder Santos or whatever his actual name is, and at least we know his name is Donald Trump because he won't stop talking about it. They get to run roughshod over everything that this country says it holds dear because Americans are lying to themselves as a people. And because they have to lie to themselves, they honor liars in their political landscape. To do otherwise would be a hypocrisy that even they cannot stand. Yeah. I am halfway down this New York Magazine article just to give a sense of the scale and the scope of his lies here. There's a remarkable breadth to this, but it also speaks to just an unwillingness to do basic fact-checking on the part of, for example, people covering his campaign for Congress, opponents of his campaign for Congress in a competitive district that, like, Joe Biden won and nevertheless was won by somebody who was entirely fictional. I'm just going to rapid fire some of the uh, sub headlines here because some of them have like dark undertones and aren't that funny, but in the context of it all just adds to the absurdity. Uh, He lied about founding an animal charity. He allegedly swindled a disabled vet whose dog was dying He may have ripped off an Amish dog breeder with a bad check. Uh, It's unclear if his mother's death was related to 9-11, though he has repeatedly claimed as such. His grandmother was definitely not a Holocaust victim, though, again, he's repeatedly claimed as such. And he did not have employees who died in the Pulse shooting. His niece did not get kidnapped either. It feels like he wanted to be, oh gosh, what's his name? Forrest Gump. (laughs) (laughs) Holy God. (laughs) Like that's, that's the only thing. That's the only conclusion I can come to is that he wanted to be that guy. I can't decide if that's a bigger dunk on George Santos or Forrest Gump. <laughs> Works either way, I guess. Incredible. Yeah, just moving through the landscape of American tragedy at the center of it all. Majestic, truly. Now that he's uh, out of Congress, he's been removed from Congress over the uh, donation fraud thing. We have to note that he's only 34. He has a full (laughs) lifetime of genius ahead of him. Well, hold up. He's allegedly only 34. True. True. Yeah. Uh, He's making cameo videos now and probably turning as much from there uh, as he was from his congressional salary. So 
no bad deed goes punished in this country. Truly. I it, they should put that on the coins. If Lurubus Unum, get out of there. It's over. <laughs> yeah, so allegedly 34. The man spent so much money, like thousands and thousands of dollars on Botox, which, you know, 30-year-olds can get, but, like, again, we're all 34. We're not there yet. So um, Listen, maybe he has migraines. Maybe. We, we won't maybe. know. I mean, if he said he did, we wouldn't believe him. Only treated by Hermes scarves. It's the only cure for his migraines. We have to stop this segment there uh, just because it runs the risk of ballooning out of proportion. When Much we come like back, career. Yeah, we will have not only our genius of the year, but somebody we actually like. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the 2023 Genius Awards. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still just so happy to see all of the stars. And Lou. Hey, guys. We've come down to the final segment of the second part of our Genius Awards, and we will be crowning the Genius of the Year for 2023. But before we do that, we want to take a little bit of time to acknowledge somebody who actually deserves like some credit from past year. Um, obviously we have a lot of fun on these genius award shows, poking fun at the villains of the year at the, you know, executives and the people who are just in charge so often. And there's a lot of negativity on these episodes just because that is the uh, nature of the beast, but we want to have a bit of positivity as well. And for the first time we have an actually honorable mention, Noah, would you like to reveal who we're talking about? Our, our actual honorable mention, our first ever goes to UAW. That's United Auto Workers president, Sean Fain who uh, led, of course, the strikes against the big three auto companies uh, over the summer and into the fall, uh, GM, Ford, and <sighs> Stellantis. And uh, strikes that were apparently incredibly successful. Uh, they, they got more or less everything that they wanted. Ratification went fairly well. So we can all be happy for their victory for sure. Um, you're, you're actually, you know, Everybody agrees that making cars is a real job, so there's there's absolutely no pushback there, and uh, a lot of it is because of Fane's innovative tactics, because of the fact that he's not beholden to kind of the dominant faction that, that controlled UAW leadership for a very long time, and his ability to communicate a case that was, how do I put this, intersectional without being preachy. I mean, this is a union leader who stuck his neck out for Gaza and Palestine recently, which no one in in the whole, like, only people who wear hard hats uh, or real workers brigade would ever ask of a union leader, yet he did. And he's he's managed to do it while representing his workers aggressively, strategically, and uh, proficiently. Yeah. Obviously, there are other union presidents. There were other strikes this year, but where Fane really stood out is in his communication of his case. I know, as you mentioned, you know, he does have the task of leading, quote unquote, real workers, manufacturers, the exact sort of blue collar workers that people think of when they think of union jobs. But nevertheless, you know, there have been UAW presidents who did not handle that task as well as Fane has, who did not really take to the mantle and start like arguing that 
no, this setup isn't fair. This is, you know, we're going to fight. We're going to actually take what we deserve from these companies. We're not going to, you know, make a concession in order to keep jobs hypothetically, you know, in Indiana for a year. We want every, we want jobs coming back in addition to higher pay and shorter hours. It's that sort of bold vision that has earned him our respect on this show and the respect of a lot of people around the country. Yeah. And just to put in my two cents, like he was one part of what was honestly a pretty successful year as far as labor actions and his messaging and insistence that labor is made and only is successful when people have solidarity with one another is really inspirational. And it's honestly something we've been talking about forever. So thanks for listening to us, Sean Fain. We appreciate it. Uh, but he, he, it was a good year for that. And I don't think that labor would have had or, or had such a successful year and, and ended on such a positive note without his innovative leadership honestly yeah sean fain our first ever actual honorary mention now for the 2023 genius of the year um it goes to somebody who may not have been as flashy as george santos may not have been as out there as eric adams but nevertheless, somebody who came to work in 2023 and decided, I'm going to try and make things worse. Not just for his workers, but also for the companies that he was responsible for. David Zaslav, the head of Warner Brothers and um, all of the various conglomerated studios underneath Warner Brothers, I guess, had himself a year. Um, He had not one, but two strikes against his companies and the broader uh, movie and TV industry. He had some very curious decision-making about things like streaming service branding and whether to keep Turner Classic Movies on the air. Just really an all-around genius year. Yeah. As you say, two strikes. Maybe if the Directors Guild hadn't chickened out on joining the other two unions, that what might have been strike three. Maybe David Saslov would be out right now instead of managing whatever the successor is now to the mountainous pile of toilet paper, uh, the Streaming Service Alliance or whatever it's called. They're, they're forming a new thing to try and head off the next strike from these corporations. And you know that Saslev has got to be intimately involved with the creation and operation of that outfit because he's, frankly, I I think his distinguishing trait, right, is his foresight, his ability to see into the future and know that the reason a strike will end is because everyone wants to work. They love working. They love working for little pay and no benefits. They love having their work, uh, the credit for their work stolen. They love being replaced by AI. That's their favorite thing. And that's what's going to end the strike. He knew that. He knows which movies aren't going to do well. And that's why he pulls them. The Basically, the moment that they're completed. He knows that what we want is to have to hurry to see everything that is leaving a streaming service on the 30 or 31st of every month. So that more things should get cut every single time you have a chance to do so. That's the kind of thing that workers like us, we just don't understand those things. We need people like David Saslov, the most boring people in America, to tell us those things. Because otherwise, how would we know? I, I think... Probably the moment that he realized it wasn't going to be his year was when he gave a commencement address at Boston University and was lustily booed by the students and 
who responded to his speech with chance to pay your writers because the actor strike hadn't yet started at that time. What, you know, what, was that the speech during which he referred to creative things as content? I'm sure it wasn't the only time if it was, because that is the MO of Zaslav and his ilk, you know, the reduction of creativity and art into content, not something that comes from one's, you know, inspiration and brilliance, but something that comes out of a mill. Yeah, yep. exactly that. Like we've we've talked at length, the three of us, about how CEOs are essentially interchangeable cogs that all go to the same business schools and they all learn the same methods about, uh, you know, EBITDA or whatever it's called, and maximizing profits and reducing costs and everything like that, and you know, share prices and and everything like that. So that essentially a CEO from a food and beverage company could go run a retail company or a bank or a manufacturer because they're all run on the same principles, which is make more money. And so we finally have a guy who is in charge of one of the biggest, because of mergers, one of the biggest studio systems in Hollywood right now controls discovery uh, and Warner Brothers, and I think something else as well. And the result is that that is that's what's happening, and people are finally cluing in to that's just what he's doing is he's ringing the stone to get more more whatever out of it. Is he's just really trying to to pinch and and prod and get anything he can out of what is still considered art. I don't know how much longer it'll be considered art if people like Zaslav aren't kicked out soon because he still has his job, which means the people who, who are in charge of his boards seem to like him and agree with what he's saying. I'm glad you mentioned mergers because um, in the last couple of weeks, there's been the news that uh, of the possibility of a merger between Warner Brothers and Paramount. Uh, which would further right. consolidate the media industry, which is already, you know, a conglomerate eating its own tail. But th this headline in the AV Club, owned by uh, Jim Spanfower, we have to say, uh, has says David Zaslav just might be the only dummy who thinks the WB Paramount merger is a good idea. It notes that. Uh, this merged company would be, quote, heavily reliant on declining TV channels and that after the news broke, both companies saw their stock decline. Yeah, but ultimately, I don't think it matters because there's a reason why. OK. As Lou pointed out, the main reason that we have developed that that business people have developed these metrics is so that it just doesn't matter what world you come out of leadership of a company, management of a company, because it's not really leadership if all you're doing is squeezing the stone, is agnostic to your actual skill set or interests. You can just go run a company wherever, right? The other reason is that the ultimate point of all of these metrics is cut labor costs. It's not make more money, it's pay people less. It's not, it's basically how much can you get away with not paying for? Because ultimately, that's the only way you make a company that's resilient to the possibility of strikes, that's resilient to the possibility of like politicians maybe all getting Christmas caroled in one night and deciding to vote for a minimum wage increase. That The only way you safeguard against that is by making a company that resolutely refuses to pay a living wage from the get-go. By creating these these metrics where paying your workers automatically puts you in the red, basically no matter what you do, it's always an excuse you can use to do whatever the hell you already wanted to do. You get people like Saslov in charge of everything. And his boards are going to like him because they're made up of people like him. Boring, soulless, uncreative dullards who want nothing more than to just... Uh, we've talked about it, I think, with the Democratic Party before, but just to manage the decline. The U.S. doesn't have vibrancy 
in its films anymore. We used to. It was called A24, and now that's gone because they got bought out by a private equity firm. That's going to turn it into another blockbuster slop farm. So when these are the people who are in charge of your artistic industry, you're going to have to look elsewhere. And unfortunately, they've even managed to recruit film goers and audiences into doing their dirty work for them by defending the act of watching every single Marvel movie five times in the theater looking for Easter eggs. While there are people who are making genuinely thought-provoking film that can't get funded because David Zaslav doesn't see the point. Everything you've said is exactly correct. I mean, Zaslav is maybe not a genius on his own merits, but as representative of a certain breed of executive. He is, you know, 2023's um, villain of the year. He is the guy who was in charge of the companies that took the biggest hits as, as much as anything. During the strike, they were floating the idea of, you know, waiting it out while writers and actors lost their homes and apartments. You know, they floated AI-generated TV shows and other nonsense ideas that anybody with half a brain could tell you wouldn't really work. They don't pay people with half a brain $246 million a year. They pay David Zaslav that. At, at this point in the show, I, I don't know if we have much more to say about him, but we can say that hopefully 2024 will provide a new class of genius, somebody who can really stand out from the crowd, somebody who can inspire Don't ask for that, Ryan. And yeah, I was going to say, in contrast, I hope 2024 is the first year we can't award, we can't do this show, this specific <laughs> episode we're doing right now. No, I would like to do this show again, um, personally. <laughs> you're you're doing a what is it? You're doing a, the problems are bad, but the causes. <laughs> Got to hand it to the causes. <laughs> for this week, for the past year, I suppose I was Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this is punching out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.